0: People living with invisible illnesses have to sometimes convince others of their symptoms. People who break their arm, throw out their back, or experience another form of injury may be in rough shape, yes, but others can see their injury and understand their limitations. But for the millions of people who are living with arthritis, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and endometriosis, and many other forms of pain, are called invisible illnesses. They have to explain what's wrong with them, which is sometimes the side effect of their condition. Not only do you have to put up with challenging, often painful and sometimes debilitating conditions every day, but on top of that, you may have to explain yourself. You may have to explain or over-explain yourself to coworkers, family, friends, teachers, as well as strangers who really don't understand and visibly see what's wrong with you. The challenge of living with invisible illness is that, again, not only do you have to deal with this every single day, but sometimes you get used to the pain. My next guest, Avery Kaplowicz, really is someone who, she's young, she's only 20 years old. And she has been living with chronic pain since a very young age. And sometimes what happens is that your symptoms at first are so overwhelming, you don't know how to deal with it. But then there's another shift that occurs is that you start to live with debilitating pain. How does someone who is so young and of any age really, but what I wanna talk about today is this, the courage that Avery has had to live with debilitating pain and still function in the world and still be a teenager, a young adult. But what that does to your psyche, to your emotions and how that changes a person when you have to go in day in and day out and live with a pain that you need to explain. So this is our topic today is how to Um, experience and get through invisible illnesses and how to educate people on the silent pain that someone is going through and how I love this. I'm, I'm butchering this quote, but how to be kind to all types and all people, because you never know what someone is going through. And so when someone says you look so good, you have no idea what it's like to live with an inv- invisible illness. And so I want to welcome you, Avery, to our podcast today. And I'm so, I'm so um, honored and ex- I don't know if the word is excited, but I'm I am honored that you're here today because your voice is so important. And it's so important to really help others who are living in silence with chronic invisible illnesses to have the courage to use their voice, because that is what is going to educate the rest of the world, to see these types of people and to give you a voice and to help others. So I want to welcome you. Thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to be here, and I look forward to speaking with you a little bit more about my story. Wonderful. Wonderful. So welcome everyone to Own Your Power, a podcast brought to you by Soul Center soul-centered is a spiritual center for anyone seeking meaning purpose and healing in the afternoon of life we provide healing and guidance services to anyone seeking to make the shift from a self-centered to a soul-centered life at midlife and beyond my name is ariella halevi i am your co-founder and your healer in the afternoon of life i am also excited to welcome you again if this is the first time you've been listening To your soul's healing. This is a break off a little bit of Om Your Power podcast to specifically interview women that from all walks of life that have experienced all types of healing. So again, welcome Avery. And I'd like to just kind of jump in. The first thing I'd like to jump into is the reason why I found you again, after all of these years, just to give our listeners a little back history. I, um, Avery is 20 years old. She is a junior at Syracuse And um, she's a very special individual, not only because of what she's been through, but also because she's so young and she is so um, emotionally smart because what's happened to her body has made her this way. Um, I believe that our souls are here to learn and open and grow. And I think Avery has just learned at a young age what it means to be a a soulful person. Um, I met Avery as a very young child. Um, I was living in the um, Marblehead Swampscott, which is the um, part of outside of Boston. When uh, my husband was a rabbi, Baruch was a rabbi, and we were the rabbi and rabbitson of a large congregation, Shirat, Shirat Hayam in Swampscott. And Avery and her parents and her other siblings were congregants of ours. And so we, we knew them from this. And it's funny because I had no, I mean, I didn't know you that well, Avery, but I didn't, I had no idea what you were going through at the time. Um, so I'm excited to really jump in. And part of the reason I found Avery is because I saw an article that she wrote and it was a beautifully written article about her invisible illness and her pain and how she managed to maintain friendships and relationships in school and underlying all of this pain that she went through. So if you could kind of tell me your, tell us your story, like really tell us what you went through, your history and how that's affected you today.
1: Yeah. So when I was 12, I got my period at a normal age, like any other teenage girl. Um, I had normal cramps like anyone else would. I had some breakouts. I had some back pain, but I really just thought that was a normal part of getting your period and becoming a girl and going through puberty. And then about a year later, I started experiencing severe cramping in my calves. And I would go to lacrosse practice and I would come home and I would hysterically cry for hours because I would be in so much pain. And so I went to the doctor and they thought maybe it was due to the gardener shot I just had or maybe just because I was going through puberty and my bones were growing that I was experiencing these pains. And then like the years went on and I was still having severe pain in my legs. Um, I would have to be laying in bed for hours. I wouldn't be able to go to school. Um, I was really just in pain all the time. So I started seeing a number of doctors. I saw a chiropractor, I saw a neurologist. I was tested for compartment syndrome. Um, the list just keeps going on and on and on. They thought I had a tumor. They thought I had something wrong with my kidneys, and no doctor could really diagnose me with anything. They kept trying to point me to different doctors. They said that I had tendonitis, and the tendonitis would last for years and years. So it was really, really frustrating. I quit basically all the sports that I played in high school. Um, I played softball. I played lacrosse with all my friends and I had to quit. I watched them play year after year and I couldn't play with them. Um, And it was really, really frustrating. And then the pain kind of went away for about a year or so, but I was still getting severe pain with my periods. I would get really bad cramps. I would basically be on bed rest for three or four days every month when I got my period. But I just thought that was normal and that every girl gets cramps when they get their period. And then um, about a year ago when quarantine hit, I started walking a lot because it was quarantine and you couldn't really do anything. And I started getting severe pain in my ankle. And so I went to the doctor and they told me I had tendonitis again. And I believe them because they're my doctor and they know what's best. And the pain was still there 4 months later so they gave me an MRI the MRI showed that there was nothing wrong they gave me a boot and they said but be in the boot for a couple of weeks and if you're still in pain come back to us um i was going to physical therapy all summer and whenever i was at physical therapy she would be like is this exercise bothering you and i would say yes and she would be like why aren't you telling me you're in pain and i said because this is my life this is what i've gone through for the last seven or so years. This isn't anything or any different from every day. Um, and then over the summer, I noticed, um, a supermodel Olivia Colpo. She started sharing about her endometriosis story and how she gets really bad cramps and how her back bothers her. So I kind of started to look a little bit more into endometriosis. Um, and, I kind of noticed that a lot of my symptoms were lining up with the symptoms of a typical patient with endometriosis. And so I told my mom, we reached out to our family friend who is from LA. Her name is um, Dr. Iris Orbuck, and she is a surgeon that specializes in endometriosis. And she kind of self-diagnosed me just by hearing my history, different symptoms I've had. And she referred me to a whole different team of people on the East Coast. So I saw um, a nutritionist at the Women's Integrative Health Institute based out of Connecticut. And she referred me to a surgeon in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I met with him virtually and he said, there's no true way to diagnose someone with endometriosis unless you have surgery. So that was a whole like nerve wrack of feelings. Am I going to go into surgery and they're not going to find anything? Is it worth having the surgery? Should I even do it? was like a major question that I really had for months and was something I really struggled with probably the entire fall. Um, And so in January, I went to Georgia with my mom and I had the surgery and I was really, really nervous that they weren't going to find anything. I really wasn't nervous about the pain, but I was more just nervous that they weren't going to find anything. And I went in, I came out and I woke up. And the first thing I said was, did they find anything? And the nurse looked at me and she was like, I don't even know what kind of surgery you had. I don't know. So then I waited and I, I saw my mom about two hours later. And I said, again, did they find anything? And she said, yes, they found everything. They, they got it all out. So that was a huge sense of relief, just them finding the endometriosis in seven different places in my stomach. And they also took out my appendix. Um, And I've also had to do a lot of prep before and after surgery. I had to completely change my entire diet. I had to go gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and I'm already allergic to nuts. So it was a huge alter and change in my diet. And now I'm a little bit over three months post-surgery and I am seeing a lot of significant changes in my body. I'm still, I still have a long way to go. I'm still in pain every day, but there have been a lot of changes since the surgery.
0: Do the doctors feel like the pain will eventually go away or is this this something that you live with?
1: Yeah. So this is actually something I've recently been dealing with the last week or two. Um, the period pains and the cramps and the acne and the back pain are a hundred percent completely gone. Um, I got my period last week, for example, and I had no idea I was getting it, um, which I'm, it's really hard for me to adapt to that because I'm so used to being in pain two or three days before my period. And then two or three days, the first couple of days that I have my period. So it's really a huge culture shock almost to me and my body that I have no idea when I'm getting my period because some, if it comes a day early, I really won't have anything that's like telling me, oh, you're going to get your period today. Um, the leg pain is definitely the biggest thing that I wanted to go away from the surgery. And that's the only pain I'm really dealing with. Um, they think that since I had endometriosis for probably eight years or more, and they no one ever diagnosed me. My whole central nervous system is probably off and it might take a while, but the healing process can really take up to a year post-surgery. So everything that I am going through is normal right now.
0: Okay. okay. It's such a, you know, you sit here and listen to uh, your 15. How old were you when it started? 12 and 13? Uh, 13. Yeah. 13. You know, a 13-year-old, you think about a 13-year-old, and and the reason why I brought you on this podcast is because, you know, obviously I don't usually interview young people, but A, many of us have daughters, and B, many of us have been living with certain things for so many years, and you started at such a young age to start to get such debilitating pain, and in the middle of that, you're going through, you know, puberty and preteen and teenager and all of those challenges that brings, you know, brings a lot of teenage girls to their knees anyway. And on top of that, you had to deal with, with this and um, you say it with such courage. Um, I, I wonder if some of that is because you're so used to living in pain. Um, how do you get used to, I mean, this is kind of off topic, but like, how do you get used to living with pain? Like, what does that, what does that feel like in your body?
1: Um. I guess I don't really remember a time in my life that I wasn't in pain, which sounds really sad, but it's on the honest truth. Um, Right after my surgery, I honestly had about a month or so that I wasn't in pain. And I was probably the happiest I've been in a really long time because I just hadn't remembered a time that I wasn't in pain. So it's really became just like a normal process in my life and something that I kind of just adapt to. And like I still go about my day-to-day life, but there are times that I can't go and hang out with my friends or I can't go do something that I really wanted to do because I need to take care of myself first. Um, and that can be really difficult.
0: Absolutely. How has that? How do you feel like it affects you today? I mean, you said, you know, in terms of not being able to go everywhere, obviously it sounds like you can't eat a, with the way a normal college uh, young woman would eat. Um, what about psychologically and emotionally? I know that you're studying psychology and social work. And so I wonder if that's kind of the been the impetus for you to go into those studies, but how does it affect you emotionally to number one, to not be able to be a quote unquote, normal, normal young woman doing what normal people do, which is, I don't even think there's a word for normal. I think we all have, you know, we all have these invisible things. Yours is much more debilitating. So how does it affect you living in a college lifestyle, but also how does it affect you emotionally?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really hard. Um, not going to lie. It's not easy. Um, it's really hard when my roommates and my friends are all eating pizza or having cake and I have to stop myself from eating those things, because I know that it's going to do more damage to my body than it won't. Um, Even just since I have eliminated gluten and dairy and soy, and if I do add those things back in, I can see a significant difference in the increase in pain and just the bloatedness and overall, like how my body feels. But I think in a way it has made me find a love for things that I probably wouldn't have found if I wasn't in so much pain, just Um, Even over the last six months, I've been trying new things like yoga and different types of walking and different types of exercising that I don't think I ever would have tried before. Um, So I think there is some pros and cons to it. And I'm trying to increase the pros and forget about the cons as much as I can.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. In terms of emotionally, I mean, you know, you don't have to get too personal if you don't want to. But I'm curious to know um, you, you know, I haven't known you very, you know, deeply in the last few years, but I see you as a very strong person in general. And that could be because of what you've gone through and what you show, you know, I'm looking at you right now, but nobody else can see you. I see a young woman who's, who looks like she is very courageous and brave. How about underneath what you show to the world. Um, Do you have emotional breakdowns? Do you cry? Do you feel sorry for yourself? Sometimes I know I'm asking you this, not to, not to pry, but I know that. um, So I had, I had struggled with an autoimmune disease for a long time. I know other women that struggle with autoimmune issues, things that are more debilitating and painful, but that is still the silent type of illness and emotionally these women, and I know firsthand, they have to do more emotional work and keep themselves up more positively than somebody who's not dealing with this. So I I guess I know the inside, you know, in a different way. Does it affect you emotionally?
1: Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, I think in high school, when I was younger, I was a lot more sensitive than I am now, obviously. Um, I've gone through college I'm a very different person than I was when I first started having these pains and when I was younger I'd be crying every single day I kept asking my mom why why am I in so much pain why is it me it's not fair I think over the years definitely like the crying aspect and the feeling bad for myself aspect I've grown from that but it still is really hard I mean I've been in a lot of like pain the last couple weeks and I was talking to my roommate the other day and I said, it's just not fair that you guys can eat whatever you want and you can go exercise and you can go do all these things and I can do the same exact thing and I can't get the same results out of it that I want to have. So that part is really frustrating. I definitely still have breakdowns. Everyone has breakdowns. Even if they say they don't, they do. Um, I, I don't like to cry in front of people. I don't like to show my emotions. I think One thing that has really helped me over the years is just staying busy. Um, I'm very active. I'm at school, during the school year, I go to overnight camp and I work with kids throughout the summer. So I like to always be doing things. And even if I'm in pain while I'm doing those things, it kind of distracts me. I think the downtime is the hardest part. I don't like sitting around. I don't like doing nothing. Um, So that was definitely hard over the last year. Just doing a lot of nothing was really hard for me emotionally. But I think now that things are somewhat coming back to normal, um, it has helped me and just kept me busy
0: and kept me going. It's beautiful. I always feel like, um, and I've said this to one of my children, is that when at such a young age, when you have pain or you're going through something that, that other kids or other people aren't going through, you're a special soul you know, that you were brought here. And this is kind of where I come from in my healing work that I do with women is that I work with a lot of women like you, just older, that have been dealing with this for so long. And and the first thing that always comes to me is that you were, you are here for a very special reason. And you may not know it yet, you know, and some people who are 50 years old don't know it yet, but that that part of the pain is also in some ways I, I think is a gift. And it's not that you would ever ask for that kind of gift, but that you are, your soul is a different type of soul. So who knows what you'll do with your, with it. You know, you're still 20, but I find that a lot of, a lot of women that have debilitating invisible illnesses, they go on to use their voice, even like you're doing now and to help other people that feel so victimized by it. And so I just want to commend you for using your voice and for getting out there and being courageous. So what tips would you have or ideas would you give our listeners who are dealing with invisible illnesses? How can women like you use their voice and speak out about what you're going through, what they're going through?
1: Yeah. So I wrote a lot about this in the article that I wrote, but you know yourself better than anyone else. You can go to a million doctors, you can tell a million people that you're in pain and they might not believe you, but you know that you're in pain. Even if it's psychological, if it's actual pain, you know that something's wrong. Um, And I think keep fighting until you figure out what is wrong, get to the bottom of your problems. And when you do solve those problems, just know that you're not alone. There's other people out there that, are probably going through the same thing. They're probably dealing with this pain for as many years as you have and don't give up. There will be relief at some point. You will be diagnosed at some point, but just also know that you're more than your diagnosis, you're more than your pain and you're stronger than you think you
0: are. It's beautiful, it's beautiful, it's very true. Um, When you think about learning to trust your body and learning to listen to your body, even when the doctors say you have tendonitis and you, and like that idea of trusting your body. Um, how can we start? How can women, young women your age, start to listen when we've been taught to listen to people that are bigger than us? How can we start to do that? I think you have to gauge the level of pain engage
1: what's really going on. Um, If a doctor doesn't believe you or doesn't think that your pain is real, then maybe that's not the right doctor for you. Maybe there's someone else that you need to go to. There are many doctors in every field, but there might be one doctor in that specific field that is better for you specifically than another doctor. Um, I also think that you have to realize that pain is not normal. Um, I think that's something that I had to learn over the years that I'm not supposed to be in pain right now. I'm not supposed to be having all these cramps with my period. I'm not supposed to be having back pain. And if doctors tell you that cramps or back pain or any kind of pain with your period or any pain in general is normal, then you have to probably see a new doctor. You have to kind of figure out, really locate the source of the pain and kind of figure out where, what your next steps are, but don't let anyone tell you that pain is normal because it is not. And I, it took me a really long time to recognize and realize that.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's so true to listen to your body, your body knows what's wrong and your body knows when things aren't right. And when you feel off. And it's so important that and you've learned this at such a young age. I mean, that's why I think this can you can affect so many women your age and older to to show them that it's number one to trust yourself and trust your body. Um, how do you think this has shaped your future? Are there ways in which you want to tell your story and help other women with invisible illnesses as part of your future?
1: I think it definitely has given me a lot of hope. Um, I went all these years without hope. And I think that this can almost make me an advocate advocate and an educa- educator for others. Um, I mean, I definitely was very private about my story for a while. And I think you can be private, but knowledge is power. And I think that's really important to remember is that by sharing your story, by saying what you went through. There's other people out there who are going to be a major support system for you. Even just when I wrote my article and I shared it, I had a girl in my sorority reach out to me and say, Hey, I had this surgery last year. A lot of people didn't know about it, but please reach out. If you have any questions, let's use each other as a support system because I don't know anyone else who has it. And she said, I'm sure you don't know anyone else who has it. So, I think that by using your voice, educating and advocating can really get you a far way. And it can help people who probably were struggling and going through the same thing. And now maybe they have realized maybe I have endometriosis, maybe I have this other invisible illness, but I didn't know anyone that had it. And now here is like a way to move forward almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is okay to share your story. There are parts of your life that you can keep private, but there are also parts that you can share and have others be there for you and you can be there for them.
0: Absolutely. That's so beautiful. You shouldn't have to suffer alone. And that's what I find also is that when we don't express ourselves and say how we feel and what we're going through, then we end up suffering in silence. And that's why this is the invisible illness because many women, they have been pushed down for so many years saying that there's nothing wrong with them, or they can't find anything wrong with them, that they become silent and they get used to not using their voices. Right. So that support, I think is so huge. The fact that you reached out and you found somebody in your sorority that has gone through the same thing, you probably would never have known, you know, unless you used your voice. So that's-
1: first. And I, even going into the surgery, I didn't know anyone who had this had endometriosis. So even though I had an incredible support system, my parents were really supportive. My brothers are supportive. My friends from home, I had friends from school, my friends from camp, everyone was so, 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 so supportive, but I didn't have that comfort of knowing what the surgery was going to be exactly like, how I was going to exactly feel, how long I was actually going to take to recover. So that part was a little less supporting and comforting, Um, And now that I've found people, even though it's a couple months later, it kind of gives a sense of comfort.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Beautiful. So just the last question. um, It's something that I think about often. I have two teenage daughters and I was a teenager and I'm a woman and living in this world. Our, our societal focus uh, for women and girls is that there's this, there's, this hyper-focus actually on your body, you know, what your body looks like, what size it is, um, how you present it to the world, what you wear. There's a lot in our media, our social media. Um, I think it's getting better, but I think that there's this hyper-focus on your appearance and your weight and the shape of your body. Um, have you experienced that? that and how has that experience, I mean, I'm assuming you've experienced it just because you were a teenage girl and a young woman in college. How has your experience shaped this idea of what your body looks like? I mean, has it changed you at all in terms of the typical idea of what your body should look like? Yeah, so
1: I've done a lot of research on this, just even for class, I'm a psych major and just doing the comparisons about social media and body influence. So I've learned a lot about this, especially over the last couple of months. Um, I'm always someone who's been very self-conscious and always been looking in the mirror and focused on my body. I'm very short. Um, My brothers are seven and four years younger than me and they tower over me already. Um, So I'm definitely someone you can spot in the room as the shortest person. But I have learned that the number on the scale does not mean anything. I could be standing next to someone who could weigh the same amount as me and we could both look very, very different. Um, I have to, I've learned that I need to get into a routine that works best for me. I need to eat and be healthy and do all these things that are best for me. And every person is different. And I have, I've, I've learned, I'm still learning to love your body and be comfortable with your body. I think it's really that's something that's very hard for me just because I've been in so much pain that it's been hard to like look in the mirror and be like, oh, I look amazing today. Especially with having endo flare-ups, I could go to bed and I could look very skinny and thin. And then the next morning I could wake up and look very bloated because that's how endometriosis endometriosis works. Um, So learning to love yourself and being comfortable in your own body is something that I think is very important when finding beauty and strength. Um, learning that the number on the scale doesn't mean anything and just being happy with who you are looking in the mirror. There isn't, there shouldn't be this like notion that everyone has to be skinny or no one should have curves or everyone needs to have big boobs or big butt. Like everyone is very unique in their own body. And I think that in, in today's society, we haven't accepted that. And that's something that we do need to accept.
0: That's beautiful, beautifully said. And it sounds like, I mean, when I said to you a few minutes ago, you know, your soul came here for a very specific, very important reason. And I think that's, it sounds to me like that's part of your journey to accept your body. And especially with the pain to, to really find, and I'm sure, you know, you're young and it's, it's a journey, but the fact that you are doing this at a young age, where I'm sure a lot of women, young women, your age are Even if they feel quote unquote normal, they are still looking in the mirror and not seeing perfection. They are still worrying about, you know, their weight and the calories and what they should look like. And it's as if you were taken out of that group and put into this different group where your, where your body said to you. This isn't where we're going. We're going on this path. And this path is going to teach you that even with pain, that even with bloating, that even with all these symptoms, you can still love the body that you're in. Um, my, I just taught a class last night and I, what I taught was that your body is a home for your spirit, for your soul. Your body is a sanctuary, but with pain, it doesn't always feel like a sanctuary I'm assuming. Yeah. And so, I think it's a really beautiful and challenging journey that you're on. And I thank you for coming on here and being honest and open with with me, with our listeners. And I'm hoping that your message reaches many, many, many people. And my hope is that the moms that are on this podcast listening, that it can help you, but also help your teenage girls, your teenagers, um to look at their bodies in a different way, to help you look at your body in a different way. Um, so Avery, thank you very, very much for all of your honesty and your courageous voice. Thank you for having me. Sure, sure. So I just want to um say to our listeners that in the show notes, I'm going to post Avery's article and I want to just promote her article. So if you click on that link and you like what you read and you feel moved by Avery's story, please share it. Share it with your family, share it with your school, share it with other women, put it on your social media and let's get Avery's voice out there to not only um, promote invisible illnesses and find um, and find and help those women that are suffering in silence, but to also help other women to help, you know what? I keep feeling like I'm seeing us being lit up. Like let's lift up and light up other women because no woman should feel like they have to look and be a certain size and to fit in to fit into the world. Every woman, everybody is different. And so I think that's what Avery's message is, is that we are all going through different things. And the important thing is that we support each other. So again, thank you so much. And um, if you like what you what you listened to today and you enjoyed this podcast, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star five-star review and share with your friends. Um, Don't forget to check out on our website, www.mysoulcenter.org, your complimentary offerings. We have Om Your Power, which is a program, it's a seven-day program to help you start to find strength and courage in your own voice. We also have a 28-day program. It's called Carry the Fire. The Carry the Fire program um, has a complimentary offering to it. It is a download that you can start creating when you have lost somebody um, to really remember them, to create memories for them. So those two complimentary offerings are here for you on our website, and you can check us out on all social media. And we hope to see you soon. And again, thank you so much, Avery. Namaste, everybody.